I'm gonna take the next couple of weeks to do this little mini series for us called This Is My Story. And this ties in so great because next week we have baptisms and we always take a few moments to hear the stories from those people who are being baptized to let them testify about what God is doing in their lives. So that's gonna be great. And then after the week after that is Mother's Day and we're gonna continue on from today's message on Mother's Day and have a little bit more in depth of that. I wanted to share something with you right off the top this morning that you might not know about me. It might surprise you, and you might like me more or less after I tell you this. I'm not sure. The verdict's still out. But I love superhero movies. I, like, love them. And I grew up in the days of, like, the 1970s Wonder Woman, and if you don't know what that is, you need to go YouTube it when you get home and just watch an episode of Wonder Woman from the 1970s because she was awesome. And I grew up with like, you know, wanting to have the red boots and like be all Wonder Woman and save the world. And I just love superhero movies. I love them all. And the last one that I went to see was just like at Christmas time, we went to see Spider-Man 3. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it yet, and you're not a real fan if you haven't seen it yet. But all three Spider-Mans from all three of the different successions of this series, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland are all in the movie together. Right? Come on, people. If you're old enough to ex have experienced and lived through going to the movies and seeing all three of these sets of movies, when you see them all together on one screen, it was quite something, was it not? Can I get an amen from somebody? It was like, I'm having a moment. And I actually made my kids watch all of them, right back to the beginning of the Tobey Maguire ones. I was like, you're watching all of these movies because they're awesome. And I think we all love something about superheroes, right? There's something in us that loves the hero in the story that can relate, that actually there's a little piece of us too that wants to save the world and be part of that kind of action. And there's actually really great, um, great things that we can learn from superhero movies, like the epic line in Spider-Man, right? With great power comes great responsibility. Like, man, I could preach on that for days. Right? I wish I could. That would make me so uncool if I preached just superhero movies all of the time and lines from movies. It would be awesome, but maybe not so awesome. Iron Man, one of my favorite superheroes. I actually have a picture of me holding Iron Man's hand. It was, it was taken in Florida, and I was going to ask Spencer to put it up there for you today, but I was like, no, maybe that's going a little bit too far. But I do love Iron Man. Um, Iron Man said, heroes are made by the path that they choose, not by the powers they are graced with. Wow, those are incredible words to live by. My favorite, though, of course, came from the movie Wonder Woman. And I was so excited when this movie came out a few years ago, the first one. I, I was like, you know, I'm like, kids, we're going to see Wonder Woman. And they're like, oh, man, we got to sit through another superhero movie with mom, right? And there's always a point in these movies when I cry. And my kids are like, they're like shoving over in their chairs. They're like, she's crying. It's like, it's, it's so embarrassing to them, right? Um, even like 
The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, when we went to see that and Aslan comes on the scene is this like, I'm like bursting into tears. I'm like, it's Jesus. And they're like, oh, she's crying again. Here she goes. But there's this moment in the movie Wonder Woman and she's, you know, about to leave the island that she grew up on and, and the people who she's always known, knowing that if she leaves, she may never be able to come back. But there's this call on her life to go and save the world. And her mom says to her, you know, if you leave, you may never come back. And she turns around and she looks at her mom and she says, but who will I be if I stay? And I'm wrecked, right? I'm like, I'm like, they're here, there. She goes again, who will I be if I stay? There's these moments in every superhero movie where there's this, this wrestle of character and there's, there's a struggle of purpose and calling. And I think there's something in us that like resonates with that, something that we love about that. There's a crisis of identity. There's a moment in time where they're either gonna stand up or not, right? In, in there's sometimes even the wrestle with the superhero persona and what the world sees as opposed to what the superhero themselves sees inside of themselves, right? They're like, everyone thinks I'm this perfect person who's saving the world, but deep inside of me, I've got stuff going on too. And we can relate to that. We can relate to this personal struggle. Who am I without the mask or the suit or the cape or the really cool lasso? Who am I without these things? Who am I without my superpowers? Who would I be? And this comes back to the, maybe the two most important questions for humanity. And we're gonna answer one of them today. Who am I and what am I here for? Who am I really? And what am I here for on planet Earth in this moment, in this time? What is my purpose and what is my identity. Today we're going to talk about identity. On Mother's Day we're going to talk about purpose. What am I here for? Today, who am I? What is my identity? How do I define myself? On the surface level, we define ourselves by many different kinds of things. We define ourselves by what we do. What's the first question you ask when you meet someone new out in the lobby and you're holding your coffee and you say, hey, what do you do, right? You wanna learn a little bit about somebody but we've reduced it to what we do for a living. What do you do? And we define ourselves by the things that we do. I actually, I cringe when I get that question. Like, you know, in an airport or in different places and they go, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and there are, I get the strangest reactions from people. I actually had this border guard once, he almost fell off his stool and leaped out of his thing and he goes, I was not expecting that. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I get that a lot. And my, my dad used to love to play golf and he would just go out and he would pick up with whoever was there when he showed up and he'd start playing golf. And, you know, a few holes in, someone would inevitably ask him, what do you do for a living? And he would say, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, their faces, man, they'd be like, did I swear? How many bad jokes did I tell? Like, they're just like rehearsing everything they've said since they met him, right? There can be some funny moments with those things, but this is the kinds of things we reduce our life to and actually define ourselves by sometimes the things 
that we do. Sometimes we define ourselves by our family, our culture, our heritage, the way we grew up, the community that we grew up in. And sometimes we limit ourselves by that too. You know, I can't change. This is just how I am. I'm Italian (laughs) or I'm Greek or, you know, whatever the case may be. Sometimes we define ourselves by the things that, the, the role we play in our family. I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a friend. We define ourselves by many different things. Our accomplishments, the things that we've done, the things we dream of doing. They're all surface level ways that we define ourselves and define our lives if anyone asks us to identify ourselves. But there's a much deeper level to our lives than those things that we like to talk about. And the truth is underneath it all, just like every superhero finds out at one time or another, we are deeply broken. And we work really hard to pretend that we're not. We put on a persona. We put on a false self that we present to the world to make it look like we're okay and we have it all together. We wanna fit in. We wanna look like we're cool and we're fine and you know, we've got everything together. And so there's something we project into the world, an identity that represents a better version of ourselves to the people around us. We all do this in small ways, in big ways. We're gonna unpack this a little bit today because I think we create very elaborate false selves in order to feel secure in the world. In order to secure for ourselves a place where we have an identity. This is our attempt to be the hero of our own story. It's our attempt to soothe the things that hurt us, to manage and control the world around us, For some of us, it's an attempt just to survive the things that have happened in our past. And for many, it's a way of escape. Here's some different personas that people maybe take on for themselves. Just a few. Just gonna go right for the heart (laughs) and pick out a few different things. Some people take on this persona of I'm the survivor. I'm not a victim and I actually stand for injustice and I help other people and I reach out and I do things because I'm a survivor. Some of us take on the persona of a rebel. I wouldn't know anything about that. Actually, yes, I would. And my outfit today is a flashback to my high school years, if I can just take you for a moment back to like 1989. Everyone else was wearing their pink Ralph Lorenz with their collars up. And I was walking in with combat boots and a trench coat and black lipstick going, you think I'm the good little pastor's girl? Uh Uh-uh, I'm gonna prove otherwise. And I was black. I actually had a friend pull me aside in like grade 11. And she was like, you know, if you wore more color, you might be more approachable. And I was like, dude, I don't wanna be approachable. Bring on the black. It's all that I wanted to do. I know, I'm shocking you guys today, right? That I, I, I actually took on this persona in high school of the rebel because I had been the good girl for so long and I didn't want to be the good girl anymore. And I was like, I'm going to prove to the world that I'm bad to the core. 
That's exactly what I did all through my high school years. And then I've regretted it for the rest of my life. Finally came back to the altar and said, God, I made a mess of this. Please, can I be white again? Can I leave this black persona behind? and actually come back to your feet. And of course, he took me back and he did and he helped me to resettle those things. But once in a while, I pull out the rebel wardrobe because I just love it. Some of you, you're a helper. You make yourself useful and invaluable because you think if people actually knew what was going on behind the scenes in your life, they wouldn't want you around. Some of you, you're the quiet one. You withdraw because you just want to be unnoticed and not stand out anywhere or with anyone. Some of you, you're the peacemaker. You become really good at managing a room, at making peace, because disunity is just too hard for you to to handle. And so you just manage everything and, and everyone around you. Some of you would say, I'm the strong one. I can carry other people and I can carry their burdens. I'm really strong. I've got broad shoulders. I can take on things for other people and I can actually maybe even rescue them. That's a dangerous road. And I'm the smart one. I mark for myself a place in this world because of my knowledge, because of the things I know, that I can be the smartest person every time I walk in the room. And if I'm being really, really, really honest with you, my own personal struggle, my own thing that I carry is that I'm a really hard worker. Because if I can prove to you that I'm reliable, you might not notice that I'm not that smart. And so my entire life, I have been the reliable one, the one who always shows up and is always there and I'll work harder and longer than everybody else because I just don't want you to notice that I'm not that smart. And these things, this is is a hard one for me. I'm still learning how to lay this one down, how to receive God's love in this area of my life so that I don't have to defend myself in that way. We do a really good job at constructing for ourselves a life of resilience. The reason that I think I'm not smart comes from my childhood. It comes from being the youngest by far, of four older brothers. And you know, I know my brothers loved me, but my whole life was like, you think that? You you do that? Like, you cry too much. And like, it was always, I was never smart enough, never good enough, never listened to. They were always way better and smarter and cooler than I was. And I always wanted to be a part of their pack and I never was. I just wanted to fit in with them. And I figured if, if I could find a way to do that in the world that I would feel good about myself inside. But man, those things crumble really fast, really fast. There's a better way. What begins as a way that we cope and how we try to make sense of the world around us becomes deeply woven into our identity. In his book, The gift of being yourself, David Benner said this. We learn how to present ourselves in the best possible light. I think we have that on a slide if you've got it to to go up so people can read along with me. A light designed to create a favorable impression and maintain our self-esteem. While this might seem quite benign, 
The dark side of pretending is that what begins as a role becomes an identity. Initially, the masks we adopt reflect how we want others to see us, but over time, however, they come to reflect how we want to see ourselves. Our masks have become our reality, and we have become our lies. And few things are more difficult to discern and dismantle than our most cherished illusions. Our identity becomes deeply rooted in lies and false narratives, false ways that we have interpreted the world around us, false things that we believe about ourselves, about God, and about others, false interpretations of our, uh, where we fit in this world and what people think of us. And we go to extremes to manage that. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us that we live under the weight of lies. Because the devil, our enemy, his name actually means accuser, slanderer. He's called the father of lies. His kingdom is a kingdom of lies. When he's talked about in the Bible, it says he's lied since the beginning. Lying is his native language. It's all he knows how to do is lie. And so in moments when we've been wounded, when we're hurt and we're vulnerable, those are the perfect moments for him to slide in and say, see, no one loves you. No one cares about you. They don't want to hear what you have to say. Why don't you just be quiet? He loves just sliding and we believe him because we're a little bit broken and a little bit vulnerable in those moments. And so we listen and we begin to believe it about ourselves. And those things get reinforced. Those lies get reinforced over and over and over throughout our lives. The only way that we will ever be able to discern and dismantle the lies of the enemy is a radical encounter with the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. The only way. God's grace and love help us to confront our false realities about ourselves. And he invites us to lay down that false sense of security that we carry and to trust him as he invites us into a life, as he invites us to follow him and learn who we were really called and created to be. Long before sin ever left a mark on your life, your own sin and the sin that was done against you, Sure, Jesus says, sorry, God says that through Jesus, he doesn't see our sin anymore. And that's true, that's a reality. But we live with the weight and the consequences of sin every single day. Those are a little harder to do away with in our lives. When God's story confronts our story, we must come face to face with our true identity beloved children of God. Nothing less, nothing more. God steps into our, our story and he confronts this identity that we've built 
for ourselves. And he begins to speak what he sees over us. He begins to call out the identity that he created us to walk in. And this encounter happens over and over and over throughout scripture in people's lives. We see the lies that they believe, the life that they're living that is a complete lie, a complete falsehood. And God steps in and he speaks something better over them. We see this in the story of Moses as he has, you know, stepped in and tried to be the deliverer himself and murdered one of his fellow Israelites. Now he's hiding for years out on the backside of the desert and God appears to him in the burning bush and calls him. And he says, you're gonna deliver my people. You're not just a murderer broken out here on the backside of the desert, gonna waste away for the rest of your life. I'm not gonna let you live that. I'm calling you into the purpose for which I had before you were born. When your mom put you in that basket and sent you down the river, I had a call on your life and I'm calling it back out of you. I'm not gonna let you hide from it. We see this in the story of Gideon. He's threshing wheat and he's hiding in a wine press because he's afraid of his enemies. And when God confronts him, he says, you don't, you don't wanna talk to me. I'm, I'm of the, the, the like weakest tribe and I'm the weakest person in my family. He's putting himself at the low of the low of the low. That's the identity that he saw himself by. And God steps into his story and he says, I'm calling you mighty warrior. Get up, Gideon. We're gonna do something together. We see this in the story of David. He's out as a young, young man, youngest son in his family, and he's out tending to the sheep. And Samuel comes to anoint the next king. And Jesse brings all of his sons before him. And God says to Samuel, no, the one I want to anoint isn't here. And Samuel's confused. He says to Jesse, do you have another son? Like, is there someone else I can look at? Because God's saying it isn't any of these ones. And Jesse's like, oh yeah, well, there's the other, the other son, right? He's out in the field. Talk about daddy issues. He didn't even think about him. When the, when the anointed prophet comes to pray over his kids and decide who's the next, he didn't even consider his youngest son. And then comes David. And God says to Samuel, that's him. We don't look at things the way the world looks at things. We don't look at the outside. We don't look at what we see. I look at the heart and I choose him. And he anoints him and calls him to be the next king. Little shepherd boy from the field. And God says, I'm gonna make you a king. We see this in the story of Simon Peter, one of the disciples, who if you read his story in the gospels, man, this guy can't get it right for anything. <laughs> Most of the time he's sticking his foot in his mouth and he's doing, he's, he's messing things up. He's taking things out of context. He's jumping way ahead of where Jesus is. All of the time he's messing things up. But Jesus turns to him and he says, you are the rock and I am gonna build my church on what's gonna happen in your life. And we know that Peter betrays Jesus. And the Bible says he looked him in the eye as he was denying him. Can you imagine the pain inside of his heart? And Peter runs away until God, Jesus comes and meets him on the beach and looks him in the eye again and says, no, what I said about you is still true. You're still going to build my church. I'm going to do something in your life that's radical, that you've never imagined. You're not just a disciple anymore. You're an apostle. I'm calling you to preach, to build my church. 
Peter stepped out in the calling that he had for him. And we look at the life of Saul, who was so zealous to stamp out the way. So zealous to take out every Christian in his path, thinking he was doing the right thing. And he has an encounter on the road to Damascus. He's blinded and knocked off his horse. He has an encounter with the truth and the grace of a living God who said, I'm gonna take all of that zeal and passion that I birthed in you, that I put in you from the day that you were born and I'm gonna turn it into something that's gonna build my kingdom. When God steps into our reality, he comes with truth, with a new name for us sometimes, with something he wants to speak over us that maybe we've never considered for ourselves before. Scripture goes to great lengths to help us understand our true identity. Throughout the New Testament, we see this little phrase used over and over and over, over 150 times, in Christ. In the Greek, en Christo. You are in Christ. When you come to him, you are in him. And this is your new identity. Despite everything that's happened to you, despite everything in your past, despite everything you've done, your identity today is in Christ. And in the book of Ephesians, we're gonna read, if you have your Bible, you can open to Ephesians 1. We're gonna read a good chunk of scripture, but I wanna outline for you something in the book of Ephesians that maybe you've never noticed before. Ephesians is six chapters. And the first three chapters are set out to talk to us about our identity. And more than any other place in scripture, this term in Christ, in Cristo, is used over and over and over again to help us understand who we truly are in Christ. And we're gonna read some of those. And then at the end of chapter three, things shift. And in the beginning of chapter four, there's a whole different way that chapters four through six are written. They are commands and imperatives for the one who would call themselves a Christian or a follower of God. And he talks about how we interact in our relationships and how we love and serve others. But notice that he doesn't put that first. He puts who we are first. Ephesians 1 through 3 is our identity. Ephesians 4 through 6 is our purpose and our calling. And so in Ephesians 1, it says this, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of the glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according 
to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I could go on and on and on. What Paul's saying is this is who you are. This is how God sees you in Christ. This is the truth of who you are in Christ. When you step in with him and you are in union with, his, with him, this is what your life looks like. This is your identity. Be who you were created to be and then you can do what you were called to do. But first you have to be the person that God created you to be. You have to accept this identity and in case you missed it, in that chunk that we read, what he said about you in Christ is that you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, that you are chosen by God, that you are holy and blameless in his sight. And I know you're sitting there going, you don't know what I did last night. You don't know that I'm holy and blameless in his sight. That's what he says about you. That's how he sees you. You are lavished with grace, adopted by God's will and good pleasure, redeemed through his blood, forgiven of all your sins. You've been given wisdom and understanding. I come back to this one a lot. I've been given wisdom and understanding to understand the, the mystery and the purposes of God. He's working everything out for my good according to his will. He's working it out in my life. I've been marked by God with a seal. I've been given his Holy Spirit, a guarantee of the good things to come. It doesn't get any better than this. This is who I am. It's who you are. That's what this scripture is trying to tell us. This is the new life in Christ. This is what God wants you to believe about yourself. Not the false things that you've picked up over the years. Not the things that you believe because a teacher spoke it over you or your parents spoke it over you or someone else rejected you or abandoned you and you believe these things about yourself. He says, no, I chose you. I want you. It was my good pleasure and my will to pluck you out of the kingdom of darkness everything that you believe about yourself that is a lie is found in the truth of who you are in Christ and the greatest thing about this is that when we find ourselves secure in God's love and held in his promises we can begin to live in that place of accepting the truth about what he says about us and living like it actually matters in our lives. And we can begin to do the things that he talks about in Ephesians four through six. We can be humble and gentle with other people. We can be patient 
and kind. We can submit to one another. We can walk in the unity of the spirit. We can stand in our spiritual authority and arm ourselves against the enemy. We can do everything that Paul asks us to do if we know that we are loved. If we know that we're loved. In Ephesians 3, right at the end of all of this stuff about identity and just before he goes to talk about how we do this in our lives, in relationships and with other people, Paul talks about God's love. And he actually prays for us and I'm gonna read the prayer that he prays. In Ephesians 3, chapter 14, he says this, for this reason, some translations say because of all of this, This is the turning point of this letter. Paul said, I've been explaining to you who you are in Christ. And because of all of this, for this reason, because I know this and I understand this about God and about you, for this reason, I get on my knees and I pray before God the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name and I pray that out of the glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that passes all understanding. That you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that has at work in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. Amen. Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And the truth is not just words that are written on papers in our holy Bible. The truth is a person. John said he was a light that came into the world and he was full of grace and truth. When you have an encounter with the person of Jesus, it changes everything. That's what Paul's talking about here. When you encounter the love of God, when you realize how much you are deeply loved just as you are by God, It changes everything. And it allows us to be able to take a deep introspective look into our own hearts because we're finally in a place where we're secure. God's love is the only place where we are finally safe and secure enough to dismantle the false self that we've created. His love is the only place where we will ever be safe enough to do that. And we can take this deep look at our true self and realize that there's areas of our inner life that were built on lies. And this is a super scary place for most people. Most people go through their life and they never unpack this. They never get to this deeper stuff because it's hard 
It can be really hard. We can hit up against emotions that are difficult. We can hit up against experiences and memories that are difficult. But if we don't process through this stuff and understand how it's still affecting our lives, we will never be free. We'll never be free from those lies. The reason we built a false self and a false identity in the first place is because of fear. It's because deep down, we are afraid that if someone knew who we really are, we would be vulnerable, rejected, abandoned, discarded, unwanted, disrespected. You pick your word. The base of everything that has happened to you, to you and to me, every wound, every place of trauma or abuse, every unkind word that was spoken over you, the heart of all of those things, there is a fear that if we are known, we are unlovable. That's why the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Because when you're loved, you can be yourself. You can be known. When you're loved by God, you can be known, fully known by him. All of it, all the broken places. And he calls you beautiful. And you can begin to receive healing and freedom in these deep places of our lives. These narratives are reinforced in our lives through the things that happen to us. They start in our childhoods, but they're reinforced through all of the things that happen when our parents get divorced or our dads spend too much time at work or your mom has an anger problem. We get bullied at school or overlooked for the promotion at work. When our husband walks out on us, we experience the same wounding over and over and over again. It's reinforced in us. And every time the perfect opportunity for the enemy to say, see, I told you. I told you. You're not loved. You'll always be rejected. You'll never be safe. He loves to whisper these lies over and over. This happened to me just this morning and I'm going to be honest and share it with you. What I shared with you earlier about working harder and being reliable so that no one knows I'm not smart. That's a deep, deep lie. And I have received some healing in this place in my life. And that is why I'm so passionate about talking about this kind of stuff. Because it, it literally changed my life and the way I interact with other people, the way I work, the way I minister. It changed everything when I got to the root and understood this lie in my life. But this morning when I came in, Pastor Andrew was um, in the back. I was just getting a coffee and he had this book that was like this thick on baptism. And I was like, whoa, that's a really thick book. And remember, my thing is that I'm not very smart. And I, I look at a book like that, I'm like, who would ever read that in their entire life? Pastor Andrew would. But <laughs> and then immediately my wheel of, I don't want to read that because I'm not smart, because 
like it starts going. Do you guys, can you recognize that, how that goes in your life? You get confronted with something and all of a sudden that narrative starts to spin. And he said, all he said was that he'd been reading this book and that maybe he would lead the, the part that we're gonna do at the beginning next Sunday. Now, we have a lot of people getting baptized. It's only gonna be about a 10-minute mini-sermon at the beginning of next Sunday to set us up. And, and I was gonna lead that, and I still might. I don't know, we'll wrestle it out this week. But as soon as he said that, immediately my mind goes, he doesn't think you're smart enough. He doesn't think you can handle it. You can't do that. And I immediately start to feel bad about myself. Now, I feel like that, that's how the enemy tries to get me off track. And I had to, I'm being honest, I had to spend a few minutes in prayer during our huddle this morning, just centering myself again and going, God, I know you love me. I know you gave me a word for this morning. And even though I may not think I'm very smart, I'm pretty passionate about the things that you've taught me. And I feel like I have something to say. So will you let me say it without crying? Because <laughs> I just want to get it out. <laughs> and I, I had to pray myself through that. And that happens to me a lot, if I'm being honest. When something in my world confronts that fact that I don't think I'm smart enough, I spin out in my mind really quickly. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I see you nodding. You can understand how this happens in your life. It's how the enemy plays with our inner world and our thought life. It's how he slides his lies in there so cunningly that we believe that they're true and we accept them about ourselves. Please don't come to me after the service and tell me you think I'm smart. People do that all the time. And it literally, like it doesn't change anything for me. I appreciate it. And I may be smarter than some of you, but I, I, it's like, it's just a thing. I know it's a lie. I know that it's probably not true, right? Probably. I'm still working on it. Still working on it. I went way off my notes there. And I can hardly read them because the type is a little bit small. So when we know how much we're loved by God, we'll finally feel safe enough to lay down all of this stuff in his presence, to let him take a deeper look at our lives and to actually bring healing, freedom, and redemption to all of these areas. I feel like it's time today to let God's great love for you become the most important thing about you. The most important thing about your identity is that you're loved by God. There's nothing else that matters. And in these moments when our thoughts spin out, when we feel less than, we have to bring ourselves back to this one incredible truth that we are broken people, but we are loved by a mighty and powerful God. His love changes things. Christianity is the only place where you will find transformation. The secular world will give you coping skills. They'll teach you how to live with your anger. They'll teach you how to get by. Jesus didn't die so that you can cope. He died so that you can be free. And I believe there is a pathway to healing out of your anxiety and out of your anger and out of the ways that you react to the world around you when you start to understand how deeply you are loved by the living God. I'm gonna invite Liz 
to come up to the keys. We're gonna close out here in a minute with some prayer. When God looks at you, he sees you through the eyes of incredible potential. I want you to hear that today. When he looks at you in Christ, he sees the person that he created you to be long before sin ever marred your image of him, long before it ever left a mark on your life or began to change the way you think about yourself. How incredibly powerful your life will be when you see what God sees and you believe what he believes about you. How incredibly powerful. When you think about yourself, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Just think about it for a moment. If you were to explain yourself to somebody, to tell someone who you are, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? It should be. I'm loved by God. And that's just the point I wanna to make today, the place I wanna to go today, is your identity, your place in this world, is it based on the fact that you are loved by God? Or is it based on something else? Is it based on a false interpretation of events, a false reality, a book of lies? Or are you gonna allow it to be rewritten? by the one who knew you before you were ever born and had a story written for your life. Will you step into the place that he has called you to be? Will you step into the things that he has laid out for you and for your life today? Will you embrace the truth of who you are in Christ? Because the truth is we are all broken We've been broken by sin. We're all broken in ways in our lives. But we can be broken and beautiful at the same time. And that is exactly what you are. And we have to learn how to hold both. We have to learn how to hold both. Yes, I'm broken, but God's at work in my life. Yeah, I'm not where I wanna be yet, but I'm on the road and I'm doing the best I can. And God's meeting me in those places and he's changing and transforming me by his love and his power at work in my life. I'm not who I wanna be yet, but I'm becoming that person. It's who I, I will be one day, whether here or in his presence in heaven, I will be the person that he has called me to be and purposed for my life. I will be, I'm becoming that person. There's hope in that. There's hope in that for everything that has broken you, for everything that has spoken over your life. There is hope in the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. So our question for today is who am I? How do I define myself? Is it simply that I'm deeply loved by God? I wanna end with a prayer. And if you're new here, we pray this way often. You've had Pastor Andrew lead you in this type of prayer. If you come out to our Seek First, those first Monday night of every month when we fast and pray, we pray this way and we listen to God. And so I wanna lead you in a prayer this morning. And it may be a little bit different for you if you've never been here or experienced this type of prayer. 
but we're gonna walk through this and I believe God spoke to my heart this morning as I was just wrestling through this and said he wants to speak affirmation and love over us today. So I'm gonna invite you to just close your eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and you would lead us in this time of prayer. There is nothing we need more than to hear your heart speak over us, to hear your truth and your grace speak life and affirmation over our hearts. And so we invite you to come in this moment, Lord Jesus. We invite you to come, Holy Spirit, and just fill us once again with your presence and lead us in this time of prayer. Holy Spirit, have your way here this morning. Bearer of truth, come and speak.